Amen. What a giving Savior. What a giving Lord. And we respond to his giving in like kind, I trust. And these messages we've been looking at together, uh, two previous to this morning's, and this one being our last message in this series on giving, may it stir us. May it not just make us smarter, but make us different in how we look at money, how we look at our talents, our spiritual gifts, our time, our strength, our minds, all these different things that really are gifts from God that we have the great privilege, the exciting privilege of choosing to give back to him for his purposes. You know, I was joking with our Irish uh, visitors that I'm half Irish. That is true. And the joke was that my right half is the Irish half and my left half is the Scottish half. The Scots, you know, have some kind of a reputation of not being that generous. Did you hear about the two men at the wall fence there at Niagara Falls, and the falls were falling over the edge, and the one man says to the other, and he said, where are you from? Scotland. What brings you to the falls? Me honeymoon. Where's your wife? She's seen the falls before. (laughs) I want the right half of me to be generous, and I want the right half of each of you to be generous. Uh, because there's joy in serving Jesus and there's joy in handling the uh, assets he puts into our care with great uh, diligence and obedience. Just to quickly recall, this series has been called Gifts You Can Give Back to God. Uh, Gifts You Can Give Back to God. The first message, based on 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, talked about the gift of money. All the money in your wallet, all the money in your bank account, all the money in your investment portfolios, all the money that any of us have are as gifts from God. And we are called of God to give back to him of that gift of money he's entrusted to our care. And that first sermon on 1 Corinthians 16, 2 highlighted some principles. We give money back to God on Sundays. We give money back to God every Sunday. We give money back to God without excusing ourselves from giving. We give money back to God having first saved it, and we give money back to God with some proportion as the measure. And some of you may be sitting here saying, Pastor, I squirmed the first time you preached on money, and I'm squirming again this morning as you preach again about money. Maybe some of you are sitting there thinking, isn't it questionable if money should even be preached about at all. Isn't it a little garish? Isn't it a little base? Well, maybe um, you tend to think that sermons on money are kind of like screen doors on submarines, um, inappropriate and somewhat useless. Well, may I remind you of what I taught you in that first sermon? May I remind you that Jesus saw the preaching on money as being very, very appropriate and very, very needful. Did you know that money is the main subject of nearly one half of the parables that our Lord taught? Did you know that one in every seven New Testament verses deals with money? Did you know the Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but over 2,000 verses on money? Did you know that 15% of everything that Jesus ever taught was on the topics of money and possessions? And that that 15% is more than what the Lord taught on heaven and hell combined? Money is something 
which the Lord wants each of us to know that we can give back to him and that we should give back to him. And then the second message in the series, Things You Can Give Back to God, was not on money, but on non-money gifts to us from God. Things like your body, your mind, your strength, your time, your talent, your assets, your children, your spiritual gift. You know, God wants us to be willing with those non-money things as well. Reminds me of the church family that invited their pastor over for dinner at their house. And when they got to the table, they looked around at the formally set dining room, and everybody's place was perfect, except the pastor's place had no cutlery. And so after prayer for the food, he kind of timidly said, may I please have some cutlery? And the mother turned to her teenage daughter and said, I told you to set the table, Monica. She said, I did, but you yourself are the one who said he eats like a horse. God wants us to cheerfully give a Sunday lunch, to cheerfully give our body, our mind, our strength, to cheerfully give our time and our talent, to cheerfully give our assets and our children and our spiritual gift back to him. And now this morning we come to our third of three messages on things that we can give back to God, gifts that we can give back to God. And I'm going to title this particular message, Frequently Asked Questions. I realize that when we preach about things that we can give back to God, that we have questions arise. They're normal. They're good questions to ask, and I want to seek to try to answer some of those good questions. The first question I want to work with you on is, should I give before or after paying my bills? That's a practical question. Should I give before or after paying my bills? Well, let me simply answer the question with a question. Which requires more faith? Which requires more faith? Giving to the Lord's work before you pay your bills or giving to the Lord's work after you have paid your bills? Which requires more faith? If you turn with me uh, or look on the screen to Hebrews chapter 11, it's pretty clear the value that the Lord places on faith. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then skipping down to verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So you ask, should I give to the Lord before or after paying my bills? And I ask you, which requires more faith? And show you that God says without faith, it's impossible to please him. Second question to answer that question is, which, is, which giving is more beyond one's ability giving? Because in 2 Corinthians 8... 1 through 5. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given to the churches of Macedonia, that in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. This was a liberally giving church was abject in poverty. Verse 3. For I testify that according to their ability, watch it, and beyond their ability... 
they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Remember we talked about the boy that stood in the offering plate? He wasn't being disrespectful. He was seeing that he had to get in the offering plate before any of his allowance money did. And God commends these churches of Macedonia that in the midst of their great ordeal, verse 2, and with an abundant joy, verse 2, and in deep poverty, verse 2, they overflowed in their wealth of their liberality and their financial giving. And in verse 3, they're commended because they gave beyond their ability to give. Yes, God commends those that give beyond their ability to give because when you get beyond your ability to give, you get into God's ability to provide for you to give. So, would giving before paying your bills or giving after your bills are paid allow you to be in the sweet position of giving beyond your ability to give? I'll leave that between you and the Lord. I'd submit to you this morning, though, we are to give before we pay our bills because God is to be our first financial responsibility. God is to be our first financial responsibility. This displays faith. This demonstrates the lordship of Jesus Christ, and this facilitates supernatural giving and living. And so I would submit to you that we ought to pay our commitment to give to God ahead of our bills. Second question. Should I give to Christian ministries other than the Calvary Bible Church? Yes if you're so led, but always second and not as your first priority. By God's design and genius, the church universal, the collection of all born-again believers worldwide, the church universal as expressed through local assemblies such as this one, by God's genius of design, the church is the primary vehicle of God's blessing for this church age. By God's genius and design, the church is the primary organism that God has raised up to get the gospel to the lost and to make disciples of the nations. It's the church. The parachurch ministry is only to supplement the ministry of the local church. And if the truth be known, the parachurch ministries all were raised up because the church was failing in certain points. Should I give to Christian ministries other than Calvary Bible Church? My answer is yes, if the Lord leads you to do so, but only as a second priority of giving, not failing to give first to the local assembly of which you are part. So this local church is where you are served, so it ought to be the place where you serve. This local church is a place where you are helped, so this ought to be the place where you help. This local church is... Where you are known, so this had better be the place where you are to know others. This local church is where you are shaped in a hands-on way, so this ought to be where you shape others in a hands-on way. This is the local church where you are disciples, so this should be the place where you disciple others. In 1 Timothy 5, God's word is so direct. 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, verses 17 and 18 speaking to a, a novice pastor, a young pastor, 
but a good pastor, a man with a heart after God's heart, had stomach troubles, probably had a nervous condition. God, the Holy Spirit, moved Paul the Apostle to write to Pastor Timothy, and by extension to each of us, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. I think that's clear. And I think it's not self-serving for me to teach you the counsel of God in this matter, that the ox that is in a local church assembly who is working hard at preaching and teaching the word of God is your first responsibility when you think of giving back to the Lord and his work. I mean, do you pay the, te- the dentist who spoke about dentistry on television and not pay your own dentist for working in your mouth? I mean, do you neglect feeding your own children so that you'll feed everyone else's children? And so our first giving priority to the Lord Jesus Christ must be to our own particular assembly. And if you call Calvary Bible Church your church, then you are first to give to the Lord through this assembly's ministries as you are led. Third question, should I tithe? Should I tithe? As I said in the second message in the series, no set percentage for giving is established in the New Testament. Uh, Many people see 10% as a starting place. Should let you know, though, in the Old Testament dispensation, the children of Israel in the Old Testament had three tithes. Two of them were annual 10% tithes, and the third tithe was an every third year tithe. So the average Israeli under the Old Testament law tithed 23 and a third percent. But again, the New Testament doesn't stipulate any particular percentage. But the New Testament does command that grace giving be proportional. Your giving and my giving to the Lord needs to be proportional. It says in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, the first key verse we preached on in sermon number one, on the first day of every week, let each one of you put aside and save as he may prosper. That's proportional giving, percentage giving. Your job, my job, our job is to get on our faces before God in prayer with open and obedient hearts and ask him which percentage should be my target percentage in giving proportionally back to you, Lord. Might be some percentage for one person, a different percentage for another person, probably will be. New Testament does not set or stipulate a set percentage. But the bottom line is, to this question, should I tithe, is that while no particular percentage is set, some percentage is assumed. Question four. What if I'm unemployed or retired or on a pension? That's a practical question. 1 Corinthians 16.2, recall, prescribes unanimous giving. Unanimous giving to the Lord in any given assembly. The verse 2 of chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians 1, or 1 Corinthians, does not say this. On the first day of every week, let each of you who is not unemployed, nor retired, nor on a pension, put aside and save as he may prosper. It doesn't say that. And so apparently God's perfect plan is that we all have the responsibility and the joy the pleasure 
of financially giving back to the Lord each Sunday out of monies we have saved and set aside for that purpose by a proportional measurement. Question five, why does God even want us to give money or anything else back to him? I mean, think about it. Infinite, eternal, changeless, all-wise, all-knowing, sovereign God enthroned in the heavens. Why does he even need money from us? Why does he even ask us to give money back to him? Why does he ask us to give ourselves back to him? Why? Oh, there's so many reasons. Because our giving back to God admits to us that he owns all we have. And it produces within us a contentment with him. And when we give back to God, it pulls the cord on our greed. Battling greed? Want to have the cord pulled on it? Give back to God. Why does God even want us to give money or anything else back to him? Because our giving back to God deepens trust in him. And it elevates him in our affections and in our priorities. It paves the way to true cheerfulness. We don't give until it hurts. We give until we're happy. Why does God even want us to give money or anything else back to him? Because it positions us to be pipelines of God's supply to others who are in need. You don't know how delighted I am. Monday to Friday, here in the office, when a person in genuine, legitimate financial need comes to me, and we vet that process out, and we see this person really has needs, that I can turn and get a check with Pastor Arnett's signature on it, too, and we can give out of the benevolence fund to legitimate needs. You don't, what a joy that is. You all faithfully give to the benevolence fund. Thank you. You'll have a chance to do that later in this service. Thank you. I get to be the delivery boy of your gifts to God for people. Just the delivery boy. What a joy and a privilege it is. When we give back to God, it positions us to pipeline God's supply to others who are in need. It proves our love for others to be genuine. It exhibits our faithfulness in small matters, which leads to the Lord entrusting us with larger matters for which we are to be faithful. Why does God even want us to give money back to him or anything else back to him? Because our giving back to God helps us to follow him extends our decision to give ourselves back to him. Like the boy in the offering plate, when we give back to him money and our time and our talent and our strength and our minds, it extension of our desire to follow Jesus. It moves from just talk, talk, talk to walk, walk, walk. Why does God even want us to give money or anything else back to him? It helps us to follow him. It extends our decision to give ourselves back to him. It fosters sacrifice for him, and it increases our obedience to him. I mean, if I refuse to be disobedient when it comes to God prompting me to give, then that will help me be obedient in God's other non-financial promptings for me. But if there's a pocket of disobedience in my heart and life, and I basically have an attitude with the Holy Spirit, don't tell me anything about this money then there's more room for me to my peril to say to the Holy Spirit, 
don't have anything to say to me about my marriage or my parenting or my work ethic. But when we say, Holy Spirit, you have every right to speak scriptural truth into my handling of money, then that opens a door wide that we're giving the Holy Spirit through the ministry of the scriptures a voice in every other aspect of our lives. And I want that. I need that. Why does God even want us to give money or anything else back to him? Because our giving back to God opens our hands to receive. We're going to have a little cartoon come up here. That fellow's in trouble. He's in trouble because he sees the banana he wants and, and needs in the jar, and he's gone in there to get it. But guess what? When he puts his little monkey fist around that banana, he can't pull the banana and his fist out of the jar. The mouth's too narrow. Some of us are like that monkey. We just hang on to something that we think God really is not entitled to own or to tell us how to use, and we are stuck in the jar. The truth be known, if that little monkey let go of the banana, he could get his hand out of the jar, and maybe God would provide a banana tree for him to climb in. Could it be that some of us are hanging on to financial things, refusing to give them back to God, thinking we have freedom, but really we're stuck in a jar with our fist around a banana? And if we would let go of that banana, say, it's yours. Give it to me in the first place. It's yours, Lord. That God would place into our hands other things that he otherwise won't place in our hands when we're grabbing onto something we refuse to give to him. Why does God even want us to give money or anything else back to him? Because giving back to God takes ourselves off of the throne of our lives. Want to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ? Want to get off the throne of your own life because you know you can't run your own life nearly as well as God can? Don't forget the matter of money. Give properly of your money. Why does God even want us to give money or anything else back to him? Because our giving back to God mimics God first giving to us. Everything we know about love, we've learned from God. Everything we know about giving, we've learned from God. He gave us his best. I've told you many times that I have one son. I love him so much. And I love you too, but I would never let J.D. die for any of you. God had one son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he let him, sent him to die, to pay for your sins and mine. Everything we know about giving, we learn from our Father and our, our Savior. And God wants us to give back to him in a regular and a sacrificial way because he wants us to mimic him. He wants us to bear a family resemblance to him. We can't move in New Providence, in Nassau, or anywhere else, saying that we trust and love a generous God if we are miserly ourselves and people know it. We can't. Why does God want us to give money or anything else back to him? Because our giving back to God worships him, ascribes to him the worth he deserves. It worships him, and it pleases him. He's well-pleased. In 2 Corinthians 5, Second Corinthians 
5, 14 and 15, listen to the love of God for you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. The love of God has been received by the believer in God, and now that love of God is to be a controlling feature of the redeemed child of God's choices. Living ministry. We should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again on our behalf. Or Philippians. Philippians 2, famous self-emptying passage on the kenosis. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus gave up all of his divine rights. He set aside the use and prerogatives of his divinity. He had all those attributes consistently when he was incarnate, but he chose not to use them, that he could obediently go to the cross to lay down his life, not as a victim, but as a volunteer to pay for our sin. We're to mimic that. We're to lay down our rights. This isn't my money. It's not just that I earned it. It's God's money. What do you want me to do with it? How do you want me to invest it in things that won't fail? How do you want me to invest this earthly money in a kingdom that is not earthly? Romans 11, 34 and 35. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let it be so. Who of us who has anything in our wallet, anything hidden under our mattress, anything in a bank account, who of us has not received all of that from the hand of God first? The answer would be none of us. None of us. None of us has anything to give back to God, monetary or non-monetary, that he first didn't give to us. And then Malachi, going back to the last book of the Old Testament, before the 400 years of silence between the Old and the New Testaments, God talks about the principle that was operative in Israel under the law, And it says in Malachi 3, verses 7 to 10, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes, have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you will say, how shall we return? And this God is saying, you're off the track spiritually. And then he asked the readers of the prophet Malachi, you want to know how you can return to God's path? Verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed thee? 
in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Old Testament scripture, principally for the children of Israel under the law, I understand that. But is there not an aspect of timeless principle to this? When we stop seeing God, the giver of life and everything in life, as our first responsibility when we're divvying out the things he's given to us, are we not robbing him? I'll leave that between you and the Lord. Question six, what is faith promise giving? What is faith promise giving? This morning, I'm going to introduce a new faith promise way of giving for us as a congregation. So the question is asked first, what is faith promise giving? I want you to see several things by way of overview. Faith promise giving is prayerful giving. Faith promise giving is planned giving. Faith promise giving is promised giving. Faith promise giving is anonymous giving. Faith promise giving is accountable giving. And faith promise giving is supernatural giving. So let's tackle these quickly, one at a time. First, faith promise giving is prayerful giving. 2 Corinthians 9, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. For it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. For I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely that Acacia has been prepared since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, that as I was saying, you may be prepared. Lest if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, for we not to speak of you, should be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift, that the same might be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Faith promise giving, church family, is to be prayerful giving. Do you see it there in verse 7? It says, just as he purposed in his heart. I would submit that purpose, uh, proper purposing in our heart is the byproduct of proper praying. You who are single and wanting to be married, if you have a righteous purposing in your heart to be married, that springs out of a, of a dedicated praying life. That's just one example. Proper purposing in one's heart is the byproduct of proper praying in any matter, including in the matter of giving money back to God. So they had purposed in his heart what to give because he'd prayed about it first. We ought to pray when approaching the concept of faith promise giving. Number two, faith promise giving is planned giving. Let me reread some of the verses I just read, 2 Corinthians 9, 1 through 5. Listen for the planning involved in this. 
For it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints, for I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely, that Acacia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren that are boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, that, as I was saying, you may be prepared." Lest if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we not to speak to you, but to put to shame by confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift, that the same might be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Faith promise giving is planned giving. Do you see it there? Verse 2, your readiness. Verse 2, has been prepared since last year. This was long-term planned giving. That you may be prepared, verse 3. Verse 4, that finds you unprepared. Didn't want that. Finds you unprepared. Verse 5, arranged beforehand. Oh, yes. Faith promise giving is planned giving. Do you plan what you give back to this church and its ministries? Or are you like the restaurant patron who's chatting over a nice meal with friends, and then the waiter appears out of the corner of his eye, and all of a sudden he's got scrambling around to figure out, does the waiter deserve a tip? What kind of a tip does the waiter deserve? Do I put it on my credit card or do I give him cash? God doesn't want you to have that feeling in a sanctuary Sunday by Sunday where the offering comes your way and you go, oh, what am I going to give? What, what can I give? He wants you to plan ahead. He wants you to do that planning before you ever come into the building each Sunday. Faith promise giving to review is prayerful giving. It is planned giving. Number three, faith promise giving is promised giving. Well, that's kind of redundant, isn't it? That faith promise giving is promise giving. Look at verse 5, still in 2 Corinthians 9, just this time just verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand, watch it, your previously promised bountiful gift. And the verse goes on. So faith promise giving, by definition, is promised to God giving. Promised ahead, this is biblical. This is not, please hear me, this is not human-based practice for fundraising. I am not standing before you as some kind of a theologically uh, wrapped up fundraiser. I'm standing before you as your pastor who loves Christ, loves the word of God, and loves you. And I'm teaching you the full counsel of God. Faith promise giving is giving that is promised to God in a quantitative way, which is biblical, which is not a human business practice, which is not mere secular fundraising, but there's more. Not only is faith promise giving prayerful and planned and promised, but faith promise giving is anonymous, and this is very important. Faith promise giving is anonymous. If you go with me to the first gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus makes pretty clear that what we purpose in our hearts to give back to him is between us and God. It's anonymous. Matthew 6, 
verses 1 to 4, right there in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught this, Matthew 6, 1 to 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. When, therefore, you give alms, we would say offerings, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. Faith promise giving is anonymous giving. Do not sound a trumpet, Jesus said. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I wonder what that means. It means this. Don't pat yourself on the back for giving. It also means don't compare what you give to something you think someone else gives. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You know what it even means? Not letting your left hand know what your right hand is giving. What it also means, you can go so far as to say, is to have amnesia about what you yourself have given. To choose to forget what you've already given to the Lord in this church. So you have no basis to say, I think I give more than her. I think I give more than him. Amnesia. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't pat yourself on the back. Don't compare yourself with anyone else. Don't even remember what you gave. Just enjoy giving. <laughs> Faith promise giving is to be anonymous giving, even anonymous with respect to oneself. Amazing. There's more. Faith promise giving is accountable giving. Going back in 2 Corinthians to chapter 8, quickly, looking at verse 1 and following. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, in their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of the liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging with us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we have expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Verse 6. Consequently, we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in love, we inspire in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I am not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. But now, finish doing it 
it also that just as there was a readiness to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. Faith promise giving is to be accountable giving. In verse 11, do you see finish doing it? In verse 11, do you see the completion of it? When I was in high school, back when the earth's crust was still warm, when the high school coach made us run laps of the track, he told us to run four laps. And he knew when we had finished, and we knew when we had finished, And if I tried to pass off three laps as four laps, he said, you owe me a one more lap, Elliot. There was no mystery. There was no debate. There was no argument. Four laps were the job. And so let me in love, let me ask you, my dear brother and my dear sister, let me ask you, have you finished your job, which you set out to do in giving money back to the Lord through this church in 2015? It could be that you don't know if you finished the job of giving financially back to the Lord in 2015 because you didn't set a target for giving. Going forward, by letting the scriptures call each of us to faith promise giving in 2016, the church leaders are calling each of us, including ourselves, of course, to define our job of giving money back to the Lord in 2016. Faith promise giving nicely establishes a target for giving for each giver and thus for a whole church. You know, back in high school in the track uh, class with the phys ed teacher, I I hate to admit it, but... uh, It wasn't just theory when I tried to pass off three laps as four. (laughs) I tried to pass off three laps as four, and he held me accountable. He made me run the fourth lap because he'd been counting. He'd been counting everybody on the track running. He was counting everybody's laps. He had been counting, and he knew I owed him a lap, and he made me give it to him. Now, moving on from high school phys ed, As an illustration, let me go on to Dallas Theological Seminary as my second illustration of this. When I was enrolled in the first year elements of Greek language class, the prof stood up and said to us, our aim is to have you to learn Greek grammar and vocabulary to a very high level. You might say we're shooting to hit the sun. But then he went on to say, but you may not achieve as high a level of knowledge of Greek grammar and vocab as we want. You actually may only hit the moon. But the moon is a lot better than the earth. (laughs) Put another way, he was saying, aim at nothing and you'll always hit it. Aim for the sun and you may fall a little short and wind up hitting the moon. But even so, hitting the moon is a lot better than being stuck on earth. Faith promise giving is accountable giving. You make yourself accountable to God, and he will count your laps. Only he and you will know if you ran all the laps which you promised to run at the end of the year. So let's review. We're seeing that faith promise giving is prayerful, 
It's planned, it's promised, it's anonymous, and it's accountable. One more thing, faith promise giving is supernatural. Still in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 7, one more time. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given to the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging with us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Consequently, we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. Verse 7, but just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in love, we inspired in you that you abound in this gracious work also. I see in verse 3, beyond their ability. Friends, that's supernatural giving. That is, except that God do it, it can't be given giving. And then down in this passage in verse 7, it reads again, but just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in love, we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. So here in verse 7, something beautiful, abound in everything, comma, in faith, goes on. Abound in everything of the qualities they were to abound in among them was faith. Abound in everything, comma, in faith. That is supernatural. That is giving that requires abounding faith. That abounding faith giving to God is a God must provide it or I cannot give it giving. That's what we're talking about. Faith promise giving that is supernatural. Last question. What is faith promise giving in the context of Calvary Bible Church? Faith promise giving may look different in different local assemblies, but let me tell you how it's going to look here. And this is new, so I, I'm glad you're paying close attention. What is faith promise giving in the context of our church? Well, first, it is your individual and anonymous promise that God providing, you will give a certain number of dollars over the next 12 months to this church. It's your individual promise. It is your anonymous promise. It is a promise that is predicated on God providing the money and that you will give a dollar figure over the next 12 months to our church. Now, we're going to divide it on our promise slips by the week, which is easier. But faith promise giving in our context will be prayerfully considering the slip in your bulletin, my faith promise giving commitment, in faith in God to provide, I promise to give an offering of blank number of dollars per week to fund the ministries of the Calvary Bible Church. Now, I know that for many years we've had a faith promise only for mission monies, right? This new faith promise is going to include what you promise to give to missions as well as what you promise to give to the general fund of the church. It's one promise. One faith promise. There's a line on your sheet because 
One half you turn in when you're prayerfully ready to turn in on a Sunday future, and the other one is to remind you what you promised to give. And so we're having now one integrated faith promise. We're taking the good idea we had for world missions money for many years. We're saying, let's extend that faith promise concept to the whole package. So what you will be promising before God is what you're going to give each week, total amount to for missions and the general fund, one amount. It's one promise. This new promise replaces the former faith missions promise for missions only. Do you know what? We are going to set our budgets both in the general fund and the missions fund based purely on what these slips add up to. Let that sink in. We are going to base our general fund budget and our missions budget purely on the total of what these budgets, these slips total. We don't want and we don't expect that the total faith promises will be less than what we need. We are looking to the Lord that the total faith promise will well exceed what has been needed historically. We are looking for the Lord to supply through these promises more than what's required to meet our church's current needs in the general fund and the missions fund. We are looking to the Lord that the total faith promise will allow us to prayerfully do more in existing ministries and even add some new ministries because the total of our individual faith promises on these slips turned in over the next few Sundays will exceed what has been given to date in other years. Please join me and the other pastors and deacons in praying for God's supply through his people. In due time, when the faith promise total slips The total is arrived at. The church leaders will have the responsibility of allocating the total faith promise monies between two things, between the general fund and the missions fund. And the general fund and the missions fund will be kept distinct, completely distinct. The partitioning of the total faith promise dollar figure into these two parts of the general fund and the missions fund will be done by percentages by the leadership. For instance, just as an example, just purely an example, 75% of the total faith promise to the general fund, 25% of the total faith promise to missions, just as an arbitrary example. And you all will be informed as to what that allocation will be. And since your faith promise is anonymous... No person will check up on you. It's strictly between you and your Lord, as it ought to be. I don't know what anybody gives in this church, and I don't want to know. Because I want to love you all impartially. So I don't know what anybody gives, and I don't care to know. And this faith promise, anonymous faith promise, will ensure that continues to be the case. Now, If for whatever reason the Lord does not provide for you to the level that you've trusted him to do so, then you are not expected to give beyond your promised level. Do you hear that? If for any reason God doesn't supply for you 
to a level that you trusted him to provide for you to give, then you're not obliged to give up to the promised level. I mean, in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 12, it's pretty clear. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a man has, not according to what he does not have. So if the Lord does not supply for you to the degree of supply that you're trusting him do, based to base your promise to give, he doesn't supply to that level for whatever reason. You're not obligated to give up to that level. But here's the flip side of that coin. If the Lord provides for you beyond the level for which you've been trusting him to provide, then it is incumbent upon you as a good steward to give above the promise level if he, if he supplies for more than the level. That only makes sense. I'm excited about this. I'm excited about this. You say, Pastor, you know, why make these changes? I mean, things were going along pretty good, weren't they? I mean, why make these changes? It's a little new to figure out. I mean, you know, why are we doing this? I mean, why, why, why have this? Well, why go to an integrated faith promise, one faith promise as to what you'll give every week to this ministry that will cover both general and missions? Why do this? Well, to give you a real straightforward negative reason, we're changing because what we've been doing hasn't worked. The givings over the last several years have not kept pace with the reasonable and good expenditures for ministry of this congregation. And so we have undergiven and overexpended. And so we don't want that anymore. We want to live within our means. We want your help to see what you're trusting for God to give per week, and we'll add it all up, and we'll live within our means so that creditors will get paid properly. It's that, it's that straightforward. That's one reason we're doing this, is because what we have been doing hasn't been working. We've just been eking out an existence financially. Eking out an existence financially. But there are positive reasons to go to this. It stresses faith. It demands planning. It establishes your giving goal, and therefore all of our giving goals added together establishes our church's giving goal. It makes for proactive budgeting by your leaders. We can take the promises you anonymously submit and make budgets based on what God's people are purposing to give. That's proactive budgeting. It fosters contained spending. We want to have line items in both the missions and the general budgets that that cap and limit spending. It causes us to live within our financial means. It sets up accountability with God. It properly integrates missions in with all the other ministries of our church. It makes for easier reporting. Chairman of the deacons just has to stand up once a month and says we're 58% off the total faith promise and sits down. By the way, we're over 95% of the way to our faith promise to missions that was given a year ago. You're to be commended. And I fully expect that come the missions conference next Sunday, we'll be 100% of what we promised to world missions because you as a congregation have demonstrated that you take your financial promises made to God by way of a faith promise very seriously for missions. So now we're just calling ourselves to make that same kind of faith promise commitment to the general fund and to missions. So take this home. If you're married, talk about this with your spouse. Pray about this. 
If you're single, pray about this with your Lord. If you're retired, pray about this with the Lord. If you're on a pension, pray about this with the Lord. If you're unemployed, pray about this with the Lord. And starting next Sunday, we'll start to receive these. Anonymous, don't put your name on them. Do not put your name on them. I'm excited to see what God's going to do. In closing, I want to ask you to stand and to pray with me. Stand, please. Oh, God, we thank you that you own it all. The cattle on the thousand hills, the breath that each of us borrow from you to live, the heartbeats we have in our chest, it's all yours. And we pray that our faith promises soon to be made would be prayerful and planned and promised and anonymous and accountable and supernatural. We pray for that, Lord, both on the individual level of promising and on the congregational level of promising as we add it all up. God, we pray that our total faith promise will exceed our actual givings for last year. We pray that our total faith promise will far exceed our actual givings for the last year, that we will be better able to fund existing ministries and allow for the funding of new worthwhile ministries which you have for us. Lord, I pray that all those standing in your presence, your precious children, blood-bought children, that none of us will resist this change or hesitate in this change. We pray, Lord, that we all will make this matter of faith promising to you a serious matter of prayer. We pray that all of us will see that this faith promising to you is spiritual, discipleship, lordship of Christ, and nothing base or secular. Lord, we pray that you as our great and perfectly faithful God will financially move and financially provide and financially bless us in ways that we can't even imagine in exceeding abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think ways, in ways that line up with God's power, in ways that overflow and cannot be contained, in ways that pour out blessings that vindicate God's promise-keeping character. These are our prayers, Lord. Help us to respond in ways that are fitting for faith and fitting for discipleship. And we pray this in Jesus' name and God's precious people said, Amen.